It is nice to be with you again in Moonysburn. I'm sorry that I'm not there, or at least part of the live service. <clears throat> sorry that I had to record this. I'm involved in something else tomorrow, but I hope that this um, recording will work out just fine. I'd like to read to you from uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 42, and this is what the psalmist says. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. When people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. One of Martin Lloyd-Jones's most popular books was the one entitled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Now the reason that the book was so popular is not because the subject was appealing, I don't think anyone could get excited about spiritual depression. The reason it was so popular was down to the fact that many Christians over the years have struggled with depression and they wanted to hear the advice of the famous doctor. I guess many of us can identify with the topic. I'm sure that many of us on occasions have felt discouraged, despondent, and perhaps even down in the dumps. So I want to look at this psalm. I think it was written by a psalmist who uh, is struggling with his emotions. I'm not sure who wrote the psalm. Uh, Some suggest that David wrote it. Uh, Others have suggested that it was written by one of the chief musicians during Israel's exile period in Babylon. Whoever wrote it, it, it's certainly a psalm which records the psalmist's struggle with depression. He tells us about the time, a time in his life when his spirit was low and his heart was heavy. He tells us how he endured these weeks when God seemed to be distant uh, in his life. 
The psalmist, of course, was not the only person who experienced uh, feelings like this. Many of the great uh, saints over the years have struggled um, with feelings of despondency and despair. I guess we could uh, even think of people in the Bible, folks like Elijah, who got so low that uh, he ran uh, down into the desert and lay down under a bush and wanted God to end his life. Uh, Famously, William Cowper, who has written uh, so many hymns, 68 hymns I think in total he wrote, some of them still sung today, on on the eve of his parliamentary exams uh, for a position in Parliament, he took a, a cab to the uh, to uh, to the the wharf tower on the Thames with the intention of drowning himself, but when he got there, the water he discovered was too low. So he returned home, um, and that evening, on three separate occasions. He tried to end his own life, only he was unsuccessful. Yet out of this despondency and despair came 68 hymns that are full of pathos and meaning and direct us towards God. Spurgeon was also known to have wrestled with a, a despondency, especially, especially after the great fire in which so many lives were lost. Now, this is in no way an indictment on the character of these men. In fact, it's a great tribute to them because despite having the the disadvantage of a melancholic temperament, these men accomplished so much for God. And perhaps the temperament with which they struggled was in some way responsible for the intimacy that they enjoyed in their relationship with God. Perhaps it was in their individual darkness that they were forced to cast themselves in a greater way upon the grace of God, only to find that his strength was made perfect in their weakness. These men learned, it seems, to live through their disability and weakness, and I guess we must do the same. I want to look at a number of things. I I want us to think about... um, their depression and its source. I want us to um, think a little bit about their depression and its expression. And finally, I I want us to think about the solace that um, they find that this man found in his depression. So first of all, a little bit about um, this man's depression and the reasons for it. So the first thing that I want to pick up on is just his absence from from the temple. If the psalmist was one of the exiles in Babylon, then in today's terms he was living in a prisoner of war camp. He had been taken from his home, snatched by the Babylonians from Jerusalem, dragged across the desert, uh, and 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 was living in 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 Babylon. Um, He's now living in a strange country. Uh, He's probably facing abysmally grim circumstances. And the thing that he missed most, it seems, was his job as a choir master, leading the praise, involved in the worship of God in the temple. And he felt as if he has lost He had lost his usefulness, his productiveness. He felt as if his arm had been cut off. He felt as if uh, his heart 
had been, uh, and Saul had been taken from him. He felt as if he had lost his sense of purpose as he now uh, lives out his life in a concentration camp. Whoever the psalmist was, the challenge that he is facing is that of accepting his new circumstances. He's faced with uh, the challenge of bowing to the providence of God. Uh, where he was and what he was faced with may have made no sense to him, but it made sense to God and he must learn to bow to the providence of God. The second thing that he seems to be um, struggling with is not just his absence from the temple. He can't be part of the worshipping community. The second thing is his accus- the accusation of unbelievers. Verse 3b, it says, people were continually asking him, where's your God? Now these taints, taunts rather, didn't come from an atheist. In ancient times, there were no such things. There was no such thing as an atheist. Everyone had some kind of God. And if this psalmist was in exile in Babylon, Babylon, then the Babylonian taskmasters would have been asking him questions like, where is your God? They believed that their gods had enabled them to overrun Israel, so their gods were more powerful than Yahweh, the God of the Bible. So they're taunting this. The Babylonians may have been taunting this man. Where is your God? Uh, added uh, to to the fact that uh, this man was known as a religious man, he had some kind of function in in the temple. It seems that. Um, that only added fuel to the fire because now they're rubbing salt into the into this man's wounds. So you've served God all your life and look at what has happened to you. Our gods have enabled us to uh, conquer you and drag you across the desert. Now, you can stand mockery and conflict for a while, but eventually it will wear you down. Eventually you'll get to a stage where you wonder if you can take any more. And that appears to be where this psalmist is. This is the point that he has reached. He is facing the challenge of drawing on heaven's resources. Now that his own resources have been depleted. Lord, I haven't the strength to face this for another day. The taunts of these unbelievers. You'll need to give me the strength because I don't have any left of my own. The third thing that seems to be uh, contributing to his sense of despair and despondency is the memory of better days. In verse 4, he recalls how he used to go to the temple with the multitude, the special feasts that were held in Jerusalem, the crowds of worshippers as they uh, filled the city and up into the temple courts. And he remembers the noise that was made by the choirs and the memory of better days haunted him. So the psalmist is facing the challenge of letting go the past. He wanted things to stay just as they had always been. And he's facing the challenge of letting go the past. We cannot relive the past. We must concentrate on the present and being for God what he wants us to be in in the present. Well, the fourth thing that he struggles with is the trials of life. In verse 7, he talks about the trials of life uh, that he has faced. All of your waves and billows, he says, have gone over me. 
And it's a picture of a man struggling in the wild seas of life, struggling to keep afloat. And the waves are crashing over him, swamping him at times, completely engulfing him. That's how he describes the experiences of life. Now he knows that God is sovereign and it's interesting to notice how he describes this. In verse 7 he says, All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. This man doesn't shy away from the fact that the things he has experienced somehow are in the plan and purpose of God. Even if they have been in the providence of God though, they've been overwhelming at times, sweeping over him, difficult to face. I don't know uh, what exactly those waves were. Uh, If he is in exile, then the destruction of Jerusalem was a fairly brutal affair. Maybe this man had lost family members, parents, siblings, maybe even a spouse or children. Maybe this man is struggling with illness and imprisonment, disease and fever must have been rampant amongst the prisoners. There just seems to be no let up in the difficulties that he is facing. Wave after wave have swept over him. And he's facing the challenge of trusting God to sustain him no matter what he faces. And it's a challenge that he is really struggling to meet. Fifthly, the fifth thing that he is struggling with is God's inactivity. In verse 9, he asks the question, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy. He's struggling with the fact that God hasn't acted in the way that he felt God should have acted. I've no doubt that he had prayed, prayed that God would bring uh, about a solution to the problems that he was facing. If he's in exile, praying that God would bring them back to Jerusalem, praying that God would uh, help them rise up against the Babylonians, but it never happened. And he's struggling with the fact that God hasn't answered his prayers in the way that he thought God should have. And the psalmist is facing the challenge of accepting that God's answers to his prayers may sometimes be in the negative for reasons that we will never know. In essence, he was facing the challenge of trusting the wisdom of God and he's struggling with it. Sixth thing that he is struggling with that is contributing to his sense of despair and despondency in this psalm seems to be that of a difficult person. Psalm 43 and Psalm 42 are in, actually in, in the Hebrew, they run together in, in the Hebrew Old Testament. And in verse 1, the mention is made of an individual who is making the psalmist's life extremely difficult. Vindicate me, he says in verse 1, Psalm 43. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Now, I don't know who this deceitful and unjust man was. It may have been the same man who was taunting him. But this man suggests, this verse rather, suggests more than taunts. Someone was perhaps accusing him of things that he wasn't guilty of. He was being accused of being less than upright. Things were being said about him which were just not true. And uh, all of this is painful and he's struggling with it. And all of these things seem to be contributing to his sense of despondency, uh, his sense of being overwhelmed, his his sense of, of despair. 
And he was facing the challenge of ignoring the scorn of those around him and grounding himself in the covenant promises of God. So that's the first thing. Those seem to be the things that were contributing um, to uh, the, the source of his depression. Um, what then about um, the symptoms of his depression? Well, let's look at a few of the symptoms that we seem to detect. First of all, he has got a sense of spiritual isolation. In verse 1, the psalmist feels as if God is a long way off. He thirsts for God in the same way that a deer pants for the water in the desert. And you can picture a deer looking for water along a dried up riverbed panting for water and finding none. And that's how the psalmist feels. Feels like this deer, only his heart's not looking for water, it's looking for God. And he feels as if God is a million miles away. There's no sense of the nearness of God. And that's how this psalmist seems to feel. I admire his desire in the midst of his despair. He feels as if God is absent and he longs to enjoy the intimacy that he once enjoyed with God. And it tells us a lot about where the psalmist uh, is. We, uh, When I was pastor of a church in Canada, we used to sing a song um, in our worship, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I want to know you more. I want to love you more. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Some people long for pleasure. Some people long for power. Some people long for satisfaction. I suppose when you are down in the dumps, you might long for emotional normality or stability. But this psalmist in his despair longs to sense the presence of God. And uh, God seems like he is a long way off. But despite our admiration for the psalmist, the psalmist needs to meet the challenge of living by faith and not feelings. He needs to remember that although God seems to be absent, he is in fact ever present. He promised Abraham in Genesis 28:15 that he would never leave him. Yeah, the same promise was made to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And although he doesn't sense God's presence, he needs to believe that God is with him. The, the second symptom of his depression is his tearfulness. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night. This psalmist seems to be overtaken with an emotional turmoil. He couldn't stop crying. He was suffering from an inability to control his emotions. He found that he was breaking down for any reason. Uh, and on any occasion, he found that as he sat and wept, he, he didn't even know why he was weeping. And uh, he talks about a loss of appetite. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Uh, and in that, he seems to be suggesting that he's lost his desire for proper food. His appetite is go gone. He didn't feel like eating. The only thing he feels like doing is just crying. And he has this sense of inner fatigue. The psalmist talks a lot about being downcast in verses 5. And then again in verse 11, he talks about being cast down. Or literally, his soul feels like it's prostrated. 
in contemporary language, he feels utterly flat, flat on his face, no enthusiasm for anything. He's suffering, it would appear, from inner fatigue, from a sagging spirit. He's got no energy, no spark. Life seems to have lost its glow. The third thing that he talks about by way of symptoms is that he feels overwhelmed in verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls and all your waves and billows have gone over me. Now, I think the waves must have been a reference to the various difficulties that the psalmist was experiencing and he had witnessed some horrific things, it would appear, whoever he was. If he was in exile, he had lost friends and neighbours, illness, uh, had visited his camp, he had watched people expire probably in front of his eyes and he was left with the feeling as if he couldn't go on. He felt overwhelmed at times. It was more than he could cope with. And it's almost as if he is associating himself with the rocks that are being pounded by the waterfalls. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. He feels as if he has been drowned by the circumstances which God has allowed to flow into his life. They're billowing over him constantly driving him downwards. Those are the symptoms. And some of us have a fairly come-day-go-day attitude to life, but others are deeply sensitive and prone to wander into despondency and despair. And the lives of such people, um, in, in, in the experience of, of life, of such people, and, and maybe you feel that you're one of them. I certainly feel as if I'm one of them on occasions. Um, we must be aware of our individual temperament. We must be. We we must know why we feel the way we feel. And uh, I would be prepared to say that you cannot help how you feel. But I think we must endeavour to uh, to do something about our feelings. And, and to address our feel, even if we can't help how we feel, we must at least be prepared to address our feelings. Which leads me then to my final point, which is his solace or his encouragement in, in, in his depression. First of all, I, I want you to notice how he responds to his, his depression. And, and first of all, he, he, he does so by questioning himself. He, he questions himself and he says, why are you cast down, O oh, oh my soul? He wrestles with the way he is feeling. And as he wrestles with it, he, he, he persuades himself, he begins to persuade himself that maybe things aren't as black and dark as he thought they were. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on spiritual depression, makes the point that when you feel the way the psalmist did, you must stop allowing your feelings to dictate to you and start doing the dictating yourselves. We must preach to ourselves. We must ask ourselves, why do we feel the way that we do? We must exhort ourselves and encourage ourselves. And, and that's exactly what the psalmist does. He talks firmly to himself. Isn't it fair to say that when you feel down, it's easy just to go with the flow? Um, and, and do nothing about our feelings. But we, we need to make the effort that the psalmist appears to be making here. And we need to talk the issue through with ourselves. 
Is the way that I am thinking and feeling correct? Is the way that I am behaving, is it really excusable? And, and what we need to do is we need to bring our thoughts into control, under control. So the first thing he does is he, he questions himself. The second thing he does is he exhorts himself. He says to his soul, hope in God. Now, hope in God involves at least two things. First of all, if we're going to hope in God, we'll need to reflect on God's promises. And, and God had promised the exiles, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God's promises to the prophet, through the prophets was that the exiles would return. And, and the psalmist needs to reflect on God's promises. Remember hearing the story of a man who had lost his job and was lost in a sea of despair and his pastor came to visit him and he poured out his woes and he just said, I'm absolutely done. I've got nothing, nothing left. And his wife pipes up from the corner of, of the room and says, well, you've still got us, meaning his family. And his mother-in-law pipes up from the other corner of the room and says, hi, and you've still got the promises of God. So we can never say that we've got nothing. So the psalmist uh, it needs to hope in God, hope in God's promises, hope in God's person. God is a holy and just God and he will vindicate the righteous. And uh, the psalmist uh, needs to remind himself that, that God will take care of this man who is taunting him. The psalmist needs to take hope in the goodness of God. If God is good, then he must have a good reason for allowing uh, him to walk the way that he has walked. It cannot be otherwise because God is good all of the time and all of the time God is good. And because God is a truth-telling, promise-keeping God, the psalmist needs to believe in God's person and that God will honour his promises, hope in God. That, that's what the psalmist is telling his soul. You can't just Allow yourself to be taken down this road of despair. You've got to think about who God is. God is a good God. You've got to think about God's great promises towards you. And the fact that God cannot break those promises. Hope in God, he tells his soul. So he exhorts himself. And, and then thirdly, he encourages himself. Gives himself something to uh, pin his hopes to. In verse 11b he says... To his soul, you will yet praise God. So the day will come, he tells his soul, when he will rejoice. God will help him through these days of despondency. And he will smile at the other side of these difficulties. These feelings will not last forever. He will yet look back and see how God helped him through these dark days. And he will rejoice. And even if he doesn't rise above his feelings of despondency in this life, he will in the next life. Because heaven is not only a world of life, it is a world of joy, surely. At your right hand is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the psalmist reminds himself that he will yet praise God, that these feelings of despondency will pass, and that he will look back and see how God sustained him and helped him. In the midst of his despondent, of our despondency, we must rest in the promises of God and in the person of God. We need to ask him for strength. We need to ask him for strength when our own strength fails. 
I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46, which is just a few psalms later, and maybe even written by the same psalmist. This is what the psalmist says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And why will we not fear? Because the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. So here's a psalmist who is really up against it. But he tells himself to hope in God. He asks his spirit, why are you downcast within me? He reasons it out and he tells himself to hope in God, to anchor himself in God's person and in God's faithfulness and in God's great promises. And if you're despondent and discouraged during this period of lockdown, then I want to encourage you to hope in God, to anchor yourself in the promises of God, to think about the person of God, think about the fact that God is good, good all of the time, and therefore he must have a good reason for allowing you to walk the way that you've walked. Well, I hope these thoughts have been a help to you. Let me just pray before I hand back to Graham. Lord, thank you for your good word. Thank you for these psalms which are written by people who struggled with the realities of life in the same way that we do. And we pray that you'll write the words of this psalm on our hearts. Why art thou cast down within me? Hope thou in God. Help us to pin our hopes in you, in your faithfulness, in your goodness and in your greatness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.